and to handle the word of God with care. I don't know any occasion in which that's not needed in reference to the word of God. It's certainly needed in reference to the subject tonight. I want to start out the lesson this evening with Mark the sixth chapter. Mark chapter six and verse eighteen or verse sixteen beginning. Mark six sixteen reads this way. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Herod was a superstitious man. He had he had murdered John the Baptist or consented to his murder, and when he heard about the work of Jesus, he thought, Well, surely this is John come back from the dead. Verse 17 explains, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. We want to talk tonight about the concept of unlawful marriages. If I were to ask you, uh, who do you suppose holds the record for having been married the most times, the man who had been married the most times in the United States? We're not thinking about Solomon right now. Uh, it, it belongs, I'm told, to a fellow by the name of Glenn Scotty Wolf. I wish I could tell you that he was some sort of a Hollywood producer. He was a preacher. Um, there was a story in the AP when he died a few years ago. Glenn Scotty Wolf never really got that part about till death do us part. He took 29 trips down the aisle. He's been dead nearly two weeks and no one has claimed the body. Not even the widow who lived halfway across the country during their 11-month marriage and can't afford to bury him or attend his funeral. He goes on to point out, the article does, that for more than 35 years, the flamboyant Bible-thumping minister held the Guinness Book of Records title for the most married man in the world. Wolf's 33-year-old son said that his father married so often because he was, quote, against living in sin. How about that? You know, what I suppose they're trying to be humorous here, there's nothing funny about it, is there? What it reflects, I think, is a very common attitude that I run into. I realize that today is the further we get away from the Word of God, uh, the truth is there are a lot of people who uh, just don't even know about marriage or think that it's worthless or useless or a piece of paper alone and nothing else. Uh, but actually, uh, there still are some people who believe that marriage is the great disinfectant that makes any uh, sexual relationship right. Well, as long as you're married, everything's okay. As long as you're married, then uh, certainly it's acceptable in the eyes of God. Make an honest woman or marry her, marry. But what we read in the Scriptures a moment ago is an important point, and that is that there are some marriages that are sinful. There are some marriages that are adultery. Boy, there's a lot to say about this subject, and we're not even going to pretend to try to say everything. But I do want to say a few words uh, particularly surrounding the marriage law as our Lord taught it in the Gospels about what the Scripture says concerning unlawful marriages. I want to make this point before we go further. 
This is uh, not a, a, a fun subject to talk about. There's, it's a deadly serious matter. And let me say this too, that um, nobody asked me to talk about this subject. I'm talking about the family, and I thought it was appropriate that we talk about that. Nobody asked me not to talk about it. But what I say tonight is not the position of the church here. I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm presenting this lesson. If there's some blame, I'll take the blame. But I'm presenting what I believe the Bible to teach. And all I ask of you is that you might consider carefully and thoughtfully what I have to say. I want to try to be simple and basic to the point. And I hope what we'll see when we come away with this is that God has always considered some marriages to be unlawful. Marriage itself is not, does not sanctify a relationship. That in some cases, the marriage itself can be, and the relationship likewise, be sinful. So let's go forward. We don't have time to deal with this subject as we would like, but I'd say that unlawful marriages were found in the Old Testament. The passage we just read would indicate that incestuous relationships, relationships uh, for the priest. Uh, a, a, a priest couldn't just marry any woman that was uh, uh, available. Uh, uh, and the high priest had to marry a virgin. He couldn't marry a woman that was put away. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we find there a memorable passage in which God makes it plain to the Israelites, when you enter the land, you must not marry the women of the land. Don't take their daughters for your sons or give your sons to their, your daughters to their sons. And he explains why. He said, because if you do that pretty soon, you're going to be thinking like they do and you're going to be right off into idolatry. I'm telling you now, such unions are unlawful. And we'll see that come back uh, to the story uh, before we're through in a minute. And then let me spend a minute on this. Uh, under the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, there is a precept concerning divorce and remarriage that we'd like to note. Deuteronomy 24 begins with these words. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it into her hand, and put it into, put, send her rather, out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, the former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled. For this is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin which the Lord thy God give thee for an inheritance. Under the law of Moses, a man couldn't simply dismiss his wife. He had to give her proof that she was legally free from him and thus eligible to marry someone else. He had to write her a bill and send her away. And that was, I think, for her protection. Not only that, but to make it more serious, he made it plain to the man that when you do that, she's gone and she's not coming back. Once she becomes another man's wife, under the law of Moses, reconciliation was not possible. So that's what Moses taught concerning that matter. We want to spend our time tonight thinking primarily about what the Lord taught about this matter. And I want to look at the gospel records uh, concerning the words of Jesus in reference to this subject. I want to start out in Mark, the 10th chapter. This is toward the end of our Lord's uh, public ministry. 
Uh, he is uh, soon to be coming to Jerusalem where he will offer his life there on that fateful Passover. And in Mark chapter 10, he arose from thence, he begins there in verse 1, and comes into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. The people resorted to him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. By the way, we just read that. Now verse 5. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Moses, for the, I'm sorry, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so that they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house the disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. A few things that I'd like to notice with you from this passage. In the first place, it seems evident from reading the passage that this is not Moses' teaching. I've met some brethren who had the idea somehow that this is not kingdom teaching. This is somehow an explanation of Moses. I don't believe that's possible. I believe God makes it just as clear as he can, and certainly when we get to Matthew 5, we're going to see that Jesus' teaching differs from Moses' teaching. That Moses allowed certain things. God's through Moses allowed these things, but now in the kingdom he goes back to the law, uh, to the rule, to the plan, the original plan of marriage. And so this is not something we can dismiss and say, well, this is not for us. I believe it is for us. In the second place, notice the question that the Lord is dealing with. Uh, I've, I've read sometimes brethren writing about this passage and they'll talk about how the Lord was asked about remarriage. He was not asked about remarriage. The question was, is it lawful to divorce? Is it lawful to put away your spouse, your wife? And so what we're dealing with here is the question not of remarriage, but of divorce. And now we notice how the Lord answered that question. He said, whatsoever God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That seems plain enough, doesn't it? That is, what the Lord said is that you ask me about divorce and I say, I am against putting asunder what God joined together. I have met not a few people, including some brethren, who have the idea somehow that, well, you know, I, I, I know I don't have the right to remarry, but, but I'm just going to have to put my husband away. I don't really know any situation in which a person might say, I have the right to do one and not the other. In this particular case, Jesus makes it plain that what he opposes is putting asunder what God joined together. Here's a lawful marriage. And by the way, it's evident enough to me in this context, that's what we're dealing with here. Here's a lawful marriage. This is not adultery. It's a lawful marriage. And what the Lord said is you must not put asunder what God joined together. And yet there are those who somehow have gotten the idea that, that well, we can divorce as long as we don't remarry. Now, I'm just asking you as a student, and I'm with you. You read the words of the Lord, and you tell me if that's what you see here. And let me just make this point in passing. 
We'll not take time tonight really to do justice to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 7. I believe Paul deals with a specific case there uh, in reference to, uh, to marriage and the question about divorce. But I do not find anything in that passage that really uh, is not consistent with exactly what Jesus teaches here. Paul deals with the specifics, but in essence, we find the teaching the same. Let me notice this also with you, if I might. Jesus condemns divorce. That's a sin. That is putting us under what God joined together. That is sinful. And then we find the disciples uh, who are asking about such matters. Uh, let me make this point before I go for it. We get to that point. Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery. And if a woman shall put away her husband to be married, she also commits adultery. I want to notice that word adultery with you. Uh, I believe it's an important point. Jesus didn't just simply say, whoever puts away his wife, that's a sin, and then marries another, adds to that sin, sin. <laughs> he specified the sin that is committed when a person puts away his wife and marries another. He said it is adultery to put away a lawful spouse and to marry another. That's the law, the rule. It is adultery. The word adultery is a word which suggests the idea of mating someone, not only who is not your mate, but mating with someone who belongs to another or you belong to another. There is sexual sin. And then in this case, what we have is a picture of someone who not only is with someone they don't belong to, but they are, or the person they're with actually belongs, to, or both, belong to somebody else. The definitions are consistent. The adultery is a specific kind of sin. And the definers regularly, and the usage of it is to, to mate with someone who belongs to another. Now, let me look at Romans chapter 7. He said that a person could be married to someone and commit adultery with them. How is this possible? I thought if you're married to them, how can you be in adultery with your marriage partner? Well, I think Romans chapter 7 helps me understand a concept that's important to our study tonight. Now, he's not talking, of course, about marriage primarily. He's talking about the relationship between, uh, I believe, the, the, uh, the, the, his reader and the law. If you want to be a Christian, you can't be married to two laws. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law? How the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, brethren, you become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruits to God. Now, the, the, the similarity, the point here is that in, in Romans 7, just like in the, in the Lord's teaching there in Mark, Mark chapter 10, we have someone who can be married to a person and yet commit adultery with them. While they're married to them, they're actually bound to another. I use this illustration if you find it helpful, good. If you find it confusing, discard it. But I think this helps me at least to understand the point we're making. Here we have a woman 
And she is married. She marries this man. You know, when two people who have a right to marry, marry, they are bound by God together. I believe that God, the law of God, is involved in that matter. I believe the promises that we make are heard in heaven, and I believe God holds us to them. That's a point that many do not recognize, but I do believe that to be true, and I believe the Bible teaches that. So here's a woman. She's married to this man. She has obligations to this man. She's bound by the law to this man. Now, what was it that Jesus said? What God joined together, let not man put asunder. But this woman disregards the law of God, and she puts away her husband. Well, that's sinful. The Lord said that's wrong. If nothing else happens, that's wrong. And it has consequences as well, as we'll talk about more later. But suppose now, having done that, committed that sin, she adds to her sin by taking another husband. Well, she divorces this man, puts him away, and marries another man. Well, Jesus called that adultery. That is, she is... Uh, there's a, there's a bond, a tie, if you will, that still exists. Now, that's not marriage. The Bible says that she divorced her husband. And the Bible doesn't say that she didn't marry this man. She married him. But the scriptures say that while she's with this man, married to this man, her relationship with him is adultery because she is bound to another. How can a person be committing adultery with the one they're married to because of what Paul called a bond? They're bound by the law to the one they made that vow to before God. And God holds such putting away what God joined together sinful and adding to that sin by marrying another adds the sin of adultery. And that's the situation with thousands upon thousands of people today in our society where the divorce laws are so lax and where people's ignorance of the word of God is so great. You run into people, find people all the time. They may be married, but it's an adulterous marriage. It's an unlawful marriage. It's a sinful marriage. They're married to one while being yet bound to another. Now that's the situation it seems to me that the Lord is talking about in Mark 10. Um, let me uh, continue in Luke 16 now uh, with another passage in which the Lord discusses the marriage law. Luke 16 seems to be so abbreviated. Uh, some have thought it, it seems to be a sort of a, a, a thought stuck in here as if it's not complete. Well, I'm sure there's more to say, but I think there is a context here. We'll not take time to flesh that out tonight. But you remember that the Lord had taught a lesson about an unjust steward being the hero of the story. He wasn't praised because he was unjust. He was praised because he had foresight. But you, can, you know that his enemies derided him. That's what the text says. They derided him. Oh, they mocked him because he would seem to make uh, something good out of this evil man. And the Lord's response to them basically said in effect, you are accusing me of being unrighteous? You're accusing me of being loose and lax? Let me tell you something. You're the ones who play fast and loose with the will of God. Uh, and uh, a part of that answer comes back to verse 18. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery. And whoso marries her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. The Pharisees weren't willing to go so far. 
But the Lord said, I'm going back to the original intent of marriage. What he said there is, in the first place, he talks about putting away a spouse and one being put away. I want you to notice that in reference to the, to the language that Jesus used. I run into people, brethren, who tell me that when it comes to divorce, it doesn't matter who divorces who, that, that's irrelevant. Well, I can't agree with that. And I can't agree with that because I notice how the Lord uses such specific language in part and because of the Lord's statements concerning one who puts away and one who is put away by their spouse. And so here we have an individual who puts away his wife and he marries another. Well, he commits adultery. That's what we just read, wasn't it? If a man divorces his lawful spouse, that's wrong, that's sinful. And then if he chooses to add to that sin by choosing another, that marriage is adultery. But I want you to notice how the Lord adds another point, another layer to this sad circumstance. Not only has this individual sinned by putting their spouse away and by marrying another, adding adultery to the sin, but now whosoever marries her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. Let me go back one more time to the situation. Here the divorce has taken place. You have put asunder what God joined together and God says, I won't have it. He said, I, that it's sinful. I will not accept it. Now, we understand that the person then who uh, chooses to add to that sin, marrying another, is in adultery because while they're married to one, they're bound to another. But going further, Jesus said, and whoso marries her or him that is put away commits adultery. Here's another layer to this sad story. Not only is this individual wrong because they put asunder what God joined together and added to the sin of adultery, and thus this individual likewise is in sin, but the person put away. When they marry again, whoever marries them, they commit adultery. And I notice this with you, that as far as I can tell, every time we find someone who is put away, when they marry again and their spouse is living, they commit adultery, whoever that might be. Think about that situation. This could be a person in their first marriage, never been married before. They meet somebody and they think they're funny and they, they think like the way they look and we get along so well, let's just get married. But maybe they don't know, maybe they don't care that the person that they're marrying has been put away. And Jesus says that what they, what they have is a, is a marriage that is adultery. We find that all over the place. And we can't wish it away. You know, so much talk about how I love Jesus and I love Jesus and all oh, Jesus is this, Jesus is all to me. But I'll tell you what I found. I found that when it comes to Jesus' marriage law, he might as well keep his mouth shut. I don't want to hear that. But people can get in the biggest mess through their ignorance or their carelessness, whatever you want to say about it. And you can be married to someone and be in adultery. And so this is what I, I, I want us to keep in mind. I know this is not a new subject to this audience. But it's new to a lot of folks we're going to try to talk to and teach. And we need to be crystal clear in our mind about what the Bible says and to be crystal clear with others so that we don't hide from them the truth that they desperately need. Let me ask you to turn to Matthew 19 now. 
Here's another passage. And I realize we're running through these quickly. And I'm sure you'll ask some questions and I'd be glad to, to talk with you about those things. But let me ask you to turn to Matthew 19. This is the parallel passage with the Mark 10 passage. And so uh, in verse 3, the Pharisees came tempting him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Well, is it? Jesus said, have you not read? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they two shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two, they are one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That's the answer. And they said to him, why did Moses give a writing of divorce but to put her away? And Jesus said, Moses, for the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives. From the beginning it was not so. And I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and marry another, commits adultery. And whoso marries her that is put away doth commit adultery. The disciples said to him, if the case be so with his wife, it's not good to marry and he said to them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there are be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Well, I want you to notice in the first place that last part. The disciples, after they heard what Jesus said about the law on divorce and remarriage, they said, well, it might just be better not to marry. <laughs> I'm not sure to now exactly what they meant by that, but I think one thing is evident. They got an idea that this is serious. And I say that because I think a lot of folks read that same law today and don't think it's very serious. Uh, they don't see much uh, to hold them back. Uh, several years ago, there was a debate between two brethren on the subject of divorce and remarriage. And one brother was willing to stand up in public debate and defend this proposition. I want you to think about this. This is what this brother teaches. Quote, the scriptures teach that all divorced people, let me read that again, that all divorced people, including those whose mates are living, may with God's approval enter and maintain a marriage with another person. All of them, anybody, everybody. That's not very strict, is it? Isn't it amazing somebody could read these verses we've been reading and come up with that idea? I don't believe they got that from the Bible. I believe they brought that to the Bible. They shoehorned that thing in there. I, my point is simply, when the disciples heard this law, they didn't hear license. They heard something that they thought was quite strict. And that ought to give me an idea about which direction to go in. Jesus is talking about those making themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. This is a matter that, that uh, certainly calls for carefulness and discipline. But of course, what we notice mostly in Matthew 19, the, the, the thing that truly stands out to us that's not included in Mark's account, but certainly is there, is what Jesus said in verse 9. I say to you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another commits adultery. We have seen the law given more than once tonight that a man ought not to put us under what God joined together, that's sin. And if he wants to add sin to that, just take another. And when he does that, it's adultery. But there's one exception that Jesus gives in which a man might put away his wife and it not be sin. 
and might, a lawful partner, I mean, and it not be sin, and might marry another, and it not be sin. And he gives it in, in this, this expression. Whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. I've, I've tried to study this subject for a number of years, as I'm sure you have. And I have read some smart fellows writing about this, and there are a lot of complex ideas that come. I tell you, when you're dealing with real people, you're going to find all kinds of real problems and layer after layer of, of just uh, weighty details and what in the world do we do about this? Here's someone that uh, we're looking to try to help them come to God and they've got a mess in their family and, you know, where do they stand and what shall we do about all of this? But I think that perhaps what I can do is to think about this in the simplest terms and come back to this passage and just ask these questions. Uh, when it comes to their marriage situation, a lawful marriage, and they've divorced their spouse, they've married another, was your spouse a fornicator? And did you put them away for that cause? Isn't that what Jesus says here? Whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another commits adultery. We might say it this way without changing the meaning, I think. Whoever puts away his wife for fornication and marries another does not commit adultery. Either way you say it, it comes back to those things. Was your spouse a fornicator? Did you put them away for that cause? And there are a lot of emotional, heart-tugging details and all kinds of things going on but the answer is no. Well, then what can I tell you? You know, I don't have a right to, to sign any checks here. I can't, I can't give away something that doesn't belong to me. And so when it comes to this situation, if a person uh, has not followed this exception, I don't know of another one. I mentioned a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is pointed to. But I'll say again, I do not believe in that passage that there are any other terms given by Paul. That he addresses the specific question, what about being married to an unbeliever? And he says there that, yes, that relationship is recognized by God. Don't leave them. And if they leave, you can't make them stay. But there's not a word in that passage about remarrying or having the right to remarry if they leave. I believe this is the only exception given to the law, to the rule. The rule is don't put asunder what God joined together. The exception is if your spouse is a fornicator and you put them away for that cause, then there's no sin. And you have a right to someone who has a right to marry. Let me uh, look finally at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31. Here we have the Sermon on the Mount and the Jesus is talking about what they had heard and then what uh, he had to say. Here's kingdom teaching. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. We read that in Deuteronomy 24. But I say to you, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whoso marries her that is put away commits adultery, or is divorced, marries her that is divorced, commits adultery. You know, if we read that carefully, we notice something rather shocking here. 
Now, we've read several times already, Jesus say, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. But that's not what he says here, is it? I mean, he doesn't contradict that. That is still true. But what he says here is, whoever divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery. That is, divorces his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. He's guilty of causing her to commit adultery. Let me go back to this rather simple chart. Uh, again, what we're saying is, Jesus said, this woman, let's take her for an example. Here's this woman, and she divorces her spouse. Well, if she takes a partner, that marriage is an adulterous marriage. Jesus has said that to us. But in Matthew 5, what he said, that whoever puts away their spouse causes them to commit fornication. Now, how is that possible? What have they done? <laughs> By the way, they may not have done anything. They may have been the finest spouse that ever was, the finest husband or the finest wife that you can ever imagine. Whoever, whoever it is. Jesus said that a person who puts away their spouse unjustly causes them to commit fornication, commit adultery. How is that possible? Uh, well, of course, it's understood by the nature of adultery. Adultery is a sexual sin. And so it's necessarily inferred that this person will take a partner that they have no right to. It's not automatic. It doesn't just uh, say, well, it, once the divorce goes through, you're automatically an adulterer, though you've been uh, celibate. No, that's not the point. How would you repent of that? The idea is that when you put away a spouse unjustly, they have no right to marry another. But most of the time, most of the time, people will whether they have a right or not. Most of them have never even heard the marriage law. And those that have, a lot of them are going to decide they don't care anymore. They'll rethink their situation. Now, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 is to this person who divorces their spouse, now, I'm going to blame them for what they've done, but I blame you too because you put them in that circumstance. That's how serious it is. That I'm guilty not only of putting asunder what God joined together, but I have a hand guilty in their adultery. I'd hate to face God in judgment with that guilt on my head, and I'm sure you would too. But let me emphasize this point. This individual that uh, is uh, put in this circumstance where if they remarry, they commit adultery. Up to that point, they may have been as fine a spouse as there could be. When I first started preaching, uh, you know, this is not a new subject. been around a long, long time. But I can remember uh, in the mid-'80s, this was a very hot subject and one that was discussed quite a bit among brethren. And I remember reading uh, in some of the papers that brethren put out articles in which smart, intelligent men would write articles about how the innocent party is given the right to remarry. Uh, in Matthew 19 or whatever they were talking about there. Well, I'm not arguing against innocence, but I'd note with you that that's not all that's involved here because as far as I can tell, this person could be innocent until they took another partner, but they're forbidden to take another. I think sometimes that gets in our mind, this idea that, well, if it's not fair, it's not, not true. You just can't be stuck. God would not, would not allow that to happen. It could happen here, couldn't it? Who of, of us can accuse this individual before they take another of being guilty of anything? 
far as I know, they're innocent. But God says, you're going to cause them to commit adultery. That is, when they take another, that's, that's going to be sinful. I don't find a lot of people think that way, but I believe that's exactly what this passage teaches. And I just ask you to consider that, if that's something that's new to you. And help me understand it if I've missed it. Uh, a mess is made because we fail to recognize what the Bible says, the marriage law and God's hatred of divorce, of putting away, putting asunder what God joined together. Let me, with the last few minutes of the lesson tonight, ask you to think about this question. We've looked at some of the things Jesus said about marriages that are unlawful marriages. He didn't say they weren't marriages. He said they were unlawful marriages. What do you do if you find yourself in an unlawful marriage? Well, I don't know anything to do but repent. Do you? I think that's about all we can do with any sin is repent. We've got to turn around. We've got to change our mind, and we also need to follow up on that by changing our action. You and I remember the example in the book of Ezra. We said earlier that Deuteronomy forbade the idea of marrying the people of the land. People didn't listen. They were taken into captivity, spent 70 years in captivity. They came back, fell into the same thing, taking up marriages with the people of the land. And Ezra, of course, was, uh, uh, in, was uh, furious about this. God was furious about it. And Ezra the priest, in verse 10 of Ezra chapter 10, stood up and said to them, you have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from your strange wives. And they said, well, we've got, we've got to do that. Some of them had children, the last verse says of this chapter by them. But the marriages were unlawful marriages. Now, I realize that was under the old law. I'm just looking at the concept of an unlawful marriage and how you fix it. You fix it by getting out of it. If it's sinful, if the relationship is adultery, in the case that Jesus talked about, we can't stay in that. Uh, some object, some of my brethren would say, but the blood of Christ washes away all sins. <laughs> uh, well, it sure does. But it does so on the condition of repentance. Uh, there's a debate, that I, written debate that I have uh, between uh, uh, Gene Frost and a, and a, a brother named Dabney and, uh, and Brother Dabney, in, in his debate, took the position that uh, if you were in a marriage that Jesus defined as adultery, you don't have to get out of that. Uh, just, uh, just be baptized, and that will wash away all your sins, including the adultery. He wrote, when one is baptized, he is justified from all things done before. This includes fornication, idolatry, adultery, Paul explains how they were justified, but his explanation does not say they separated. Instead, they were washed. This means they were baptized. Let me go over to 1 Corinthians 6 with you quickly and, and, and read this passage. Let's get it before our minds and let's see what Brother Dabney is saying and what a lot of people are saying and what a number of brethren through the years have advocated. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Paul writes, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And of such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What Brother Dabney is saying is that Paul didn't tell those folks to get out of, 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 of some adulterous marriage, to separate, to divorce. He just said, be washed. He goes on. Being baptized and forgiven, they were sanctified and justified. Justification was not by works of the law, nor by works of righteousness which they did themselves, but was according to his mercy, manifested in forgiveness at baptism. Well, what do you say about that? Let me say, first of all, I am mighty thankful for the grace of God. I'm a big fan of the grace of God. I need it every day, and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the example of those in ancient Corinth. I'm grateful for the fact that God was willing and able to forgive all of these sins. But the obvious fact is that they couldn't continue in those sins and find forgiveness. You can't continue in sin and claim repentance. That seems to be beyond obvious. Uh, you think a man could please God? That he could be forgiven, for example, of drunkenness, but continue to get drunk day after day after day? You think a man could be forgiven of God and remain a thief? I heard a fellow years ago give this illustration. Maybe you've heard it before. But it's amazing how that uh, uh, brethren would recognize that all those sins have to be forgiven. They, to be forgiven, rather, have to be repented of. They have to be uh, turned from, except adulterous marriages. A fellow gave this illustration. He said, suppose your neighbor steals from you. Suppose he steals your, your watch. And suppose he steals your car. And suppose he, uh, he steals your wife. And this fellow now wants to repent. What would you think about him if he said, came to you and said, I am really sorry that I stole this watch. And I tell you, every time I look at it, I'm going to think about you and think about how sorry I am. I wouldn't call that. He said, hey, I'm sorry I stole your new convertible. And when I drive down the road with the sun shining on my face, I'll sure, man, I'll be thinking about how sorry I am. That's not going to cut it. He's got to give the watch back and he's got to give the... He's got to give the car back, but he can keep the wife. That's how that works. Isn't that strange? That's just not what the Bible says at all. And I think these men are not consistent. They wouldn't go down this list of sins and say, you can stay in homosexuality, you can stay a thief, you can stay an extortioner or a drunkard. They understand that you can't stay in sin and call that repentance and be forgiven of it. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In, in Revelation chapter 9, uh, you have the imagery here, and of course these, these are given in figures and symbols. Uh, here the trumpets are sounding, and God is warning people. But I just notice with you, God is, is certainly disappointed how that after he warns and he warns, people do not repent. What does that mean? It means they don't change. The rest of the men, verse 20, of, of Revelation 9. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the work, works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of silver and gold and brass and stone and wood 
which neither see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders or their sorceries or their fornication or their thefts. How do you repent, for example, of idolatry? Well, you have to stop worshiping idols. You can't continue in the sin. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 makes that point plain. That as long as we live in a sin, we're guilty of that sin. As long as we do the, the sinful thing, we live in the sin. Mortify, put to death your members that are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For the which things sake, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. In the which time you also walk sometime when you lived in them. Put them off, he says. Anger and wrath and malice. You cannot be forgiven without repentance, and repentance demands separating from the sin. And we're not doing anybody any favor by telling them you can stay in the sin and find the forgiveness of God because God didn't make that promise, and I certainly can't make it. Let me finally talk about what I think is a more hopeful note. You know, it's a terrible thing that people get into these messes, and the, and the, the, the way to get out of them is not easy. It's costly, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But it's a whole lot easier to prevent the mess. And there are a lot of ways with which that might be done, but let me mention a couple. In the first place, teach the marriage law. Teach the law. Uh, I, I, I think when you teach on a subject like this, uh, you know, there are a lot of reactions to it. But the saddest reaction to me that I ever get when I teach on this law is when somebody comes out and says, I wish I had learned that years ago. Well, I wish they had too because it's been in the Bible a long time. Uh, I mentioned already Brother Lee a time or two this week somehow. But he wrote this book called Good Homes in a Wicked World. Uh, and it's a little dated, but I think it still is a, is a good book and worth reading. But there's a passage in here, if you'll let me, I'll read just quickly. He was talking about visiting at a hospital one day. Uh, a young lady there to whom I'd been preaching for some time. He wrote, her mother was a member of the church, faithful in attendance. The daughter had been coming to services uh, for several months. She asked if I sit down and talk with her. And uh, she said, quote, you know, I've been coming and hearing you preach, and I know I should be a Christian. Especially I'm conscious of that now that I have a little boy. And then she paused and she said something very startling. She said, you may not want to baptize me. Now he said, I like to baptize people very much, especially uh, someone who seemed as sincere and honest as that young woman. And I, I asked why. And she said, my husband has another wife who is living. Now, he said, I want every reader to give close attention to her next statement. She said, I didn't think anything about it before marriage, but I certainly think a lot about it now. And then he, he adds this. He said, that intelligent young lady lived for approximately 20 years in the house with a mother who was a member of the church, and she had married without thinking of the marriage law, the very idea. And now later... As the young lady grew older and had a child around her feet, she was thinking of the law that she feared she had violated some years before. How did the mother feel? Dear reader, 
Let me beg you not to let a boy or girl live at your house for 20 years without thinking of the law which is stated so often and so clearly in the Bible. I realize that you might be telling them every day and they may ignore it. But I'm just saying here, let's make sure that they have the teaching. And the parents of these young children, as they grow up, that they understand exactly what Jesus says about this subject. They won't learn it from the world, that's for sure. Realize that marriage is for adults. Uh, you know why, you probably heard this before, you know why insurance rates are cheaper for older people, car rates are cheaper for older people? It's not because their reflexes are so much faster. Uh, that's not it. It's because they use more careful judgment. That's why. The insurance companies don't trust teenagers. It's, uh, it's a risky thing to give a teenager a car, <laughs> give the keys to the car. Some are worthy of it. It's a risky thing for a teenager to marry too. Some are worthy of it. But I, here's what I find, and maybe you found this too. I talk to people, they're in a mess in their marriage. And, and, I, and, and, and they say to me, it's clear, what they tell me and what the Bible says is just two different things. And I, and I tell them, I say, what do you want me to do? It's not my law. I can't promise you anything that Jesus doesn't give me to promise. And I always tell them this, you probably do too. I say, but I tell you this. If you're determined to do what you want to do anyway, you can throw a rock and it'll go over the heads of three preachers right here that'll tell you whatever you want to do is great. But the Bible still says what it says. Anyway, what they'll tell me is they'll say, but I was so young. I was so young. And I'm sure they were. I, I just didn't realize. I just wasn't ready. But you made that vow before God. I just can't believe God will hold that against me. You know, if a young person goes out tonight, God forbid, and they get in the car with somebody, they don't even have to be driving. Get in the car with somebody, and they go out here, and that driver is reckless, and they wind up around a telephone pole, they may be crippled for the rest of their life. And it wasn't, it wasn't their fault. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, they're going to suffer for it. And the choices that we make are serious. There's some folks in this room who have lived a long time and they've seen things and they've been through it and they can tell you what it means to keep a vow for better or worse. Before you take that vow and offer that before God, you better make sure you understand what it means for better or worse till death do us part. Because God holds us to our promise. So I say, marry, but make sure you're ready for a lifetime commitment because that's what it is. And let me offer this thought as well. Make a spiritual choice. I used to say, marry a Christian. And I found out that people, some people, some, when they heard that, they thought that means make sure you get them dunked before the wedding. 
Now, I say that, and that's too flippant. I don't mean that somebody can't be converted by, their, by somebody they're interested in. I, I don't mean that. The Lord knows. I don't know about all that. But I know, and we know situations where that's about what happened. I also know of cases where somebody married a member of the church, and it wound up in a ditch. And usually when I start talking about this, somebody will come up to me and say, well, I'll tell you what, my wife or my husband wasn't a Christian. We married, and we've been married for 50 years, and they've been a Christian all those years. And I say, congratulations. I'm glad. I'm, not, I'm, happy. I'm happy it did. I certainly am. I wouldn't wish you ill. Let me talk to the young folks here. Let me just ask you to think about this. What sense does it make, knowing how serious marriage is and knowing what's involved? How, what sense does it make for you to marry a woman to be your help and the mother of your children that does not know Christ? I mean spiritually. They may be a very sweet person and you may love them very much. But does that make sense spiritually? And what sense does it make for a young woman to marry a fellow who whatever gifts he might have, he's not in a praying relationship with God. And he's going to be the head of your household. And what happens with the budget? And what happens when you're planning vacations? And what happens with the raising of the children? And he wants to take them off somewhere when they need to be at services and and for every person who comes up to me and says, well, it worked out for me. I say, can, I say I'm glad for you, but I also feel like saying, but let me, let me take you to some folks it didn't work out for. I got a list of those folks if you want to talk to them. And I can tell you, they'll tell me right now, they'll say, I love my spouse, but I wouldn't do this again. This is hard to pull the wagon all by yourself. And so many of them just drop out. And those that don't, it's a hard road. And so I say, make a spiritual choice. I don't believe I can say that choosing a woman who is the, to be the mother of my children that is not a Christian, I might have been thinking about a lot of things, but I was not thinking about the kingdom first in that case. I think we're just honest. We'd have to say that. Put the kingdom first. Make a spiritual choice. Um, I'm out of time, but I want to give you one illustration, and then we're going to quit. You know, the marriage law is common in the scriptures. We've read it several times. We, we just looked at the words of Jesus. It seems like the Lord put it in so many places that we would miss it, but people do. And it's been a, a thorn in our side in trying to reach people just... Uh, not too long ago, we had a man in the community that we were, thought we were making progress with. He seemed interested. He was a man in his, I don't know, he might have been in his 30s, I guess. He was a bachelor. And eventually, you get around to the marriage question, you know. And he said, uh, yeah, he'd been married before. He'd been married four times and divorced four times. We went over the passages that we went over tonight. And uh, he was uh, very upset that they taught him he didn't have a right to marry. He thought he needed a fifth one, I guess. And I reasoned with him in every way that I knew how to do, and then I finally just said to him, I said, look, 
you know, what Jesus said, he said. But let me ask you, if he said it was lawful for you to take another spouse, do you think that's a good idea? I mean, you hadn't done a great job of picking them. Or you hadn't done a great job of being one. I mean, just in a common sense, don't you think that's... But that didn't persuade him. But he told me, he said, I was married in a, he named a denomination, in all four of those weddings, and nobody ever even brought this up to me. Why not? I don't know why not. Well, maybe I have a suspicion. Why not? <laughs> but I'm telling you, you'll find that to be so. Uh, now, I have a couple of charts I want to show you. This is Methodist doctrine on divorce and remarriage. I'm not picking on the Methodist church. I think this is true about Protestantism in general, as far as I can tell. I don't know any Protestant group that would do any different. It just so happens in my library, I've got a bunch of old Methodist disciplines. And I got to look at one day, and I thought, I wonder if they address this subject. They address a lot of subjects. What their preachers can do and can't do and what the Methodist teaching is on this and that. And sure enough, I began to look. And um, this is from the Methodist discipline of 1896. And in 1896, this is what it said under that section of divorce. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful. And no minister shall solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living. This rule shall not be applied to the innocent party to divorce for the cause of adultery, nor to divorce parties seeking to be reunited in marriage. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded as lawful. That's what our Methodist friends taught in 1896. A few years later in 1914, the ministers of our church shall be prohibited from solemnizing the rights of matrimony between divorced persons except in the case of innocent parties who have been divorced for the one scriptural cause. You know, our Methodist friends used to talk about the one scriptural cause. I believe in one scriptural cause too. Well, let's go a little bit further. 1940. A lot happened between 1914 and 1940. And in 1940, we find these words. No minister shall solemnize the marriage of a divorced person whose wife or husband is still living and unmarried. But this rule shall not apply, number one, to the innocent person when it is clearly established by competent testimony that the true cause for divorce was adultery or. 1940, we came up with an or. Or other vicious conditions which through mental or physical cruelty, physical peril, invalidated the marriage vow. That's different. Now, 1960. A lot happened in the world between 1940 and 1960. And in 1960, this was the teaching. In view of the seriousness with which the scriptures and the church regard divorce, a minister may solemnize the marriage of a divorced person only when he has satisfied himself by careful counseling that A, the divorced person is sufficiently aware of the factors leading to the failure of the previous marriage. B, that the divorced person is sincerely preparing to make the proposed marriage truly Christian. And then C, sufficient time has elapsed for adequate preparation and counseling. I don't know where the will I get that. We're just making this up as we go. And then finally, 1984. I don't think it's changed much since 84. And read this. Where marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, are estranged beyond reconciliation, we recognize divorce is regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. And we encourage an active and accepting and enabling commitment of the church and our society to ministers 
to the members of divorced families. In less than 100 years, we went from the one scriptural cause to, hey, it happens, and uh, we just might as well accept it. And the question we would ask is, what changed? Well, I think we probably suspect what changed. What changed was people's behavior. And you have folks there who have a budget to meet, and they look out and they say, look, if we teach Matthew 19, 9, we are going to lose a lot of people. So I believe we'll just, uh, we'll just fudge that a little bit. And, but what didn't change was what the Lord taught. And it hasn't changed, and it won't change. And so our plea is that we might recognize the Lord's teaching and let that guide us and lead us. And let that be our beacon. Don't apologize for the law of God. As we go out and we try to share the gospel with the world, it will not do any good to ignore. It will not do any good to, uh, to soft pedal or to change or to edit. We'll just have to share what Jesus said and let it fall where it may. I have a great deal of empathy and sympathy for folks who have, have made mistakes, who have messed up. I can tell you wherever you are, whatever you've done, you can repent and you can find the right way. If it involves not having a marriage partner, you can make it. <laughs> I promise you, you can. Whatever it takes to do right, you can make it. If you've had a past that's been terrible, as 1 Corinthians 6 taught us, God will forgive you and you can walk away from that, take with the consequences that might come. And live your life for him. And you can make it. But we're not going to make it if we ignore and violate the will of God. So thank you for listening. We invite you this evening, if you're here and not a child of God, to make your wishes known. If you'd like to become a Christian, to come forward in repentance and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're here as one who is a child of God, has not been faithful to the Lord, then please do make uh, your wish is known. If we can help you, assist you in any way, let us know as we stand and as we sing, will you please come?